welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. It's been a long and strange offseason, but we are back. This is your host, Scott Spratt. Today, I've got a very special guest and Mike Clay. We'll do that uh, an interview with him over the first half of the episode, and then we'll back end it with going through the Kubiak Fantasy Football Rankings for running backs, uh, going for the, through the top 45 guys, one stat per player to help you prepare for your drafts. Without any further ado, let's get started with Mike's interview right now. Okay, joining me on today's episode, we have Mike Clay, fantasy writer and projections expert for ESPN. I'm sure you know Mike. He is a titan of the industry. I actually know Mike originally from when he was the editor-in-chief of Pro Football Focus Fantasy, which is where I started my career. And we'll touch a little bit on that today with some of the other newer topics. Mike, how are you? Thanks so much for joining the show. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy you do it. Like you said, you've been, uh, you know, we've been close for a long time. Um, you know, whether it's been in the industry, we actually caught a, what a couple Reading Phillies games mixed in there, or, uh, or no, I guess some Iron, Iron, Iron Pigs, Pigs absolutely. Iron Pigs games. Yeah, so the good, the good uh, old days when you could actually go out to a ballpark, indoor stadium, and enjoy right, yourself. Right, right, absolutely. So uh, yeah, your uh, your former employer was not far from where I was when I was down in Pennsylvania. Of course, I'm in Connecticut now, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm excited that you found a home at, at Football Outsiders as well. It's obviously a a great fit. So yeah, it should be fun to, to nerd out here, talk some football numbers. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Um, to get things started, though, I want to talk about some of your earlier work and specifically opportunity adjusted touchdowns. For people that are a little less familiar with it, can you explain what opportunity adjusted touchdowns are and how you use them in your projections? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the idea was, I mean, going way back to the PFF days, you know, I was looking uh, for ways to kind of predict touchdowns, right? Because a lot of times still today you hear people say, look, touchdowns are, you, you can't predict touchdowns and they just throw their hands in the air. Mm-hmm. And I don't buy that anymore, right? There's just yeah. too much information we have. And it, it, look, I'm not saying it's easy, but we can do a better job than just looking at last year's touchdown totals and maybe saying, oh, you know what? They got a better quarterback, so they should score more. So I'm going to bump it up a few. You know, we can do better than that. Uh, we can look at things like regression to the mean, and that's super super helpful. And in this scenario, what opportunity adjusted touchdowns are, are essentially expected touchdowns. Uh, So um, what that means is it looks at, it looks across, you know, a decade plus of of data and every single carry is examined, whether it's by a receiver, a running back, a quarterback, and it looks at the yard line um, for rushes as the the main category. And then for targets, it looks at, looks at the distance from the end zone as where as, as well as where the player is when he is targeted. And it determines where the league average player's touchdown total would be if targeted in the, them exact positions on the field. So once you come up with that number, say it's an expected total of five, uh, if that player has eight touchdowns, maybe they got a little lucky, right? They just uh, happened to, to score on all four of their carries inside the five. And, uh, you know, what I've learned is that over time, uh, players cannot drastically exceed or fall short of those numbers. They tend to, to regress to the mean, to use, to use that terminology again. Uh, it's not a skill is what I learned in, in my uh, early research on the topic. A touchdown scoring isn't, you know, volume is, you know, if you're targeted a lot, that, that's that's basically a skill stat. That means you're good. You're on the field. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the ability to be better at scoring touchdowns than other players does not stand. You know, it's it's a very much touchdowns are very much an opportunity stat. OK, so you have some really cool articles that dig into this and show some of the recent examples of overachievers and underachievers from last year. And I want to start with some of the guys that you listed as potential touchdown decliners because they overachieved on their opportunity adjusted touchdowns last season. And I want to use that as a jumping off point to ask you about, is it not the case that maybe there are some skills that could maybe influence that? Um, And the first guy is Derrick Henry. 
who you identified scored nine opportunity adjusted touchdowns last year. Um, was it, how many did he actually score? Is it 12? Yeah. 12. Okay. So like the, the obvious case for him would be like, are there maybe his ability to like burst through contact, something like that is, is there ability to, to overachieve based on a player's strength or ability to, to, to push the pile? Uh, you know, I think, uh, it's that, that's one of the tougher spots is that, is that are over or short, let's say short-term windows are their exceptions, right? Like for mm-hmm. example, Rob sure. Gronkowski kind of broke the numbers for a little while. Odell Beckham did for a couple of years. And each time I just kind of stuck with it and said, these guys will regress to the mean. And maybe they went one more year and they were over their heads and then they came crashing back to earth. And and, and that's the case for everyone you could think of in, in league history, at least that I've studied in the past decade. So mm-hmm. um, Henry is one of those guys that maybe over a short term window is, uh, you know, a, a Gronk or an OBJ or a Greg Jennings and is kind of breaking the numbers because he has, you know, you look at his career so far, he has 41 touchdowns and a 27 total OTD. Uh, a big chunk of that was last season when he doubled his OTD. He actually had sure. uh, he had what is it 18 total he had more touchdowns you know? than i said yeah I, I yeah, had that wrong. yeah 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 he had, yeah 18 total touchdowns it was the year before he had 12 right so um but i mean early in his career you know you look at early on he had a um you know uh 3.4 rushing otd as a rookie at five touchdowns and he was equal with five touchdowns the second season right with his otd and then he was just a little over his head in 2018 and then way over last season so yeah i mean maybe if we project an OTD of eight, maybe he scores nine or 10, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's a big difference than nine to 12 or nine to uh, 18. Um, but to answer your question more specifically, I think that for the most part, no, I think it's an exception. Um, you know, I think Henry's a freak. Like you said, he's dominant after contact, but a lot of where his touchdown uh, touchdowns are going to come from is opportunity carries inside the five and, and an insane amount of carries, you know, the 300 range. I think that really is, where it comes from, even if he might be a little bit of an exception. Yeah. And I buy that too, because even though he led the league with 3.2 average yards after contact per attempt last season, the guys tied in second place, Leonard Fournette and Nick Chubb, both underachieved their opportunity just to touch down numbers. Right. So it's, it's clearly not the cheat code that you would maybe expect it to be near the goal line. So your number two guy uh, overachiever was Aaron Jones, 19 touchdowns against 10.8 opportunity adjusted touchdowns. Number three was Raheem Mostert who had 10 touchdowns against only 3.8 opportunity adjusted touchdowns, a number that makes some sense because you, if you consider that he really didn't take over as the primary ball carrier for the 49ers until later in the season. But I want to jump off a little bit with Mostert there because I was doing some research related to an article on team touchdowns using opportunity adjusted touchdowns to kind of fold up to the team level. And I noticed that, one, the 49ers have a ton of speed on their team, Mostert being one of them. He ran a 4-3-4 second 40 time which is one of the fastest of current NFL running backs. They have guys like, you know, Jarek McKinnon, 439, Tevin Coleman, 439. Matt Breida was that fast when he was on the team last year. Even receiver Debo Samuel was that fast. And it seemed to me that like all of the 49ers were overachieving their opportunity just to touchdown totals. And as a team, they ran in the league leading 13 touchdowns from more than 10 yards away from the end zone. So is, is there some team speed component where they can maybe – like have more long touchdowns than you would expect? Or was this more of just like an incredibly charmed season for the 49ers? You know, I, I haven't found that. I, I haven't. I mean, there are other teams that have, uh, that obviously have super fast running backs that can't score touchdowns, right? So um, sure, it, yeah. it's not, I, I'm not going to pretend like I did this massive research project on the correlation between speed and, and exceeding OTD. It's an interesting topic. I'd love to see the research and, and certainly it's something that can go on the to-do list, but it's not something that I have found during my research 
um, mm-hmm. by any means. Now, uh, the 49ers offensively last season were way over their heads, right? I mean, they had 60 touchdowns, and by my measurements, they had an expected total of 42.7. Now, uh, good offenses, that's going to be the case, right? They're going to uh, score more than their expected total uh, because they're super efficient. Um, and and again, t- generally, you'd see that regress to the mean quite a bit. Even if teams are very good, they're not going to usually be that much ahead of their expected numbers. Um, but at the same time, you know, I had them with an expected touchdown, a passing touchdown rate of 57%, and they were at 50% last season. It was 50-50 for them. So uh, perhaps that number levels out, and maybe Jimmy Garoppolo throws a few extra touchdowns this season, and the, the rushing touchdowns drop a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it always is tricky, too, because, you know, in a, with the situation like the 49ers, I don't think if, if you... If you forget about the team and the situation, just look at roster talent at running back. I, you know, I don't think anybody's blown away by the 49ers, right? Like if that was the backfield yeah. for the Browns, we'd be like, uh, you know, Mostert and and Jarek McKinnon, who was horribly inefficient before he went to the 49ers and before all the injuries. Um, and, and Tevin Coleman were like, okay, you know, that's, I guess, an okay committee. That's certainly no no superstar there. Uh, but you look at this, the scheme they're in out there in San Francisco and what Kyle Shanahan brings to an offense and, and suddenly, as a, a group, they look really good. But running back is a tricky one to to measure ability because uh, scheme yeah. is so important and it's just so reliant on volume. So, yeah, I'm kind of jumping off on something that you talked about there with um, like Jimmy Garoppolo maybe being a player that could bounce back. Do you sort of interplay like opportunity just to touchdown overachievers with, you know, for rushers? with, you know, quarterbacks, that's something like that. I was thinking like if the 49ers had so many long touchdowns last season, well, if those, you know, backs had been tackled a little bit shorter, that could have actually created extra touchdowns for Garoppolo in the passing game potentially rather than just the the running game. So is that sort of a way that you kind of fold things up to a team level? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm already adjusting for the team when I, when, obviously I use OTD to help project touchdowns as opposed to just using touchdowns. That's mm-hmm. probably common sense based on what we've talked about or obviously sure. what we've talked about, but um, I do adjust those numbers for the team, right? So you don't want a player who benefited greatly from, uh, you know, playing in a high scoring offense if then they change teams in the offseason and go to a worse offense, right? So maybe Matt Breed Definitely. is an example of that going from the 49ers to the Dolphins. You don't want to say, okay, well, this guy had an OTD that's super high, but uh, he was in a good offense. So how do you adjust that? So I do that. You know, I, I have a, a metric in there in the play to play data uh, that'll adjust for that in the in the projection process. But of course, on a in season when we're just kind of using it as a counting stat essentially then then that's not where you use that because you want to know how how much of an opportunity these players are getting so once those adjustments are made for team uh and then they're applied to each player and then they all kind of get injected into the current roster yeah certainly that there'll be uh there'll be some you know some some regression to the mean some uh distribution towards the passers if once you regress those in those numbers so absolutely i do expect a higher percentage of their touchdowns to go to the passing game uh, this season, which will obviously knock the touchdown total for the pass catchers. But also keep in mind this, I think overall the 49ers should be expected to score fewer touchdowns this season just because they were sure. so far over their heads last season. That makes sense. But I'm also glad you brought up Brita specifically because the third idea I had of maybe a reason why running backs could overachieve their opportunity just to touchdown numbers is just the quality of their run blocking. The Titans and 49ers are good examples because they were both top eight in adjusted line yards, football outsiders metric for run blocking. And for Breida moving to Miami, they were by far and away the worst team in adjusted line yards last season. So this could be a big downgrade for him. 
But again, if the 49ers are running in all their touchdowns from distance, I don't know how much of that could be a factor. Like, do you have any thoughts on, on run blocking? It sounds like that may be part of sort of the secret sauce of your projections for, for future touchdowns. Yeah, and you know what? I, I still think we're kind of early on in in uh, understanding O-line play and who really is mm-hmm. good and who's not. I mean, you can list off certainly some some star players, some effective players. You know, I'm not saying it's impossible, but, you know, with, you know, pass block win rate, for example, is something that we have new at, uh, you know, ESPN yeah. stats and information the past couple of years. And, you know, PFF grades are another example. And, you know, uh, we're really trying to uh, we're in the early stages of really understanding uh, what it takes to to maybe move the needle for a running game and, and certainly as pass blockers as well. So, um, you know, I, it, it's certainly a part of the process. And, uh, you know, it's it's still a tough one to navigate, but I'm certainly looking at things like uh, what, what I just laid out as well as yards before contact to try and determine mm-hmm. that. But I'll tell you what, uh, it might be a little bit subjective thinking, but that's something you have to consider when you're evaluating, uh, say, yeah. running backs with the, the Colts or the 49ers as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe running backs on teams that are a little shakier up front. That makes sense. And then for projecting rushing touchdowns against like receiving touchdowns, passing touchdowns, that, that type of thing, do you find opportunity adjusted touchdowns are more important for one aspect of regression than, than another? Uh, I, you mean a different, different by position? Well, it could either be by position or maybe like, is it the case that running backs are, are tend to rebound more strongly toward like the regress total than say a quarterback would be? Um, you know what? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I, I did two articles recently, um, over at, at ESPN plus, and I kind of dove into that a little bit. I, you know, I looked at hit rates and, uh, looked at some mm-hmm. nuggets about players over the years, you know, who tends to recover, who doesn't. And I actually split it up between running backs and pass catchers. And the numbers are pretty much the same, you know, I mean, certainly take players bouncing back uh, in the touchdown department. So, um, you know, I won't get too into the numbers here because it's all in the content. It's a lot, it's a lot kind of to unpack, but uh, you know, I see similar things. I see that regardless of if it's a pass catcher or a rusher, you do see uh, pretty similar uh, regression to the mean. It's, it's pretty strong in both cases. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like in your head, you would say, Hey, like this receiver is six foot five and 230 pounds. Like he ought to be able to catch a lot more touchdowns of his available targets. But then you turn around and see that, you know, running backs regress heavily kind of independent of how big they are, how strong they are, how, how fast they are maybe. And so it's, it's amazing how much opportunity really drives this um, rather than the, the, what you would presume to be like the skill sets of the players. Yeah, no, no question about it. And that, that is what I found. That was uh, pretty, pretty quickly too, right? Like right when I started yeah. working on this stuff, um, it was very apparent and I still get pushback on that, you know, like, Hey, this is ridiculous. Like obviously guys are, are good at scoring and you know, it, it's just not the case. I mean, the numbers don't say that if you, if you, if that's your opinion, then you got to lay that out. Now, like I said, occasionally you'll see short-term exceptions pop up over a couple of seasons, but uh, you just consistently see those guys uh, crash back to earth. So I, I stand by that logic and you see it time in and time again. You know, it's all about volume. Volume is what drives uh, touchdown numbers. Totally agree. I mean, that's why we uh, kind of piggyback on your research for our projections of football outsiders. And it's why I think this is probably the most important metric for fantasy players to understand and try to use to, to make their decisions. Uh, let's pivot to talk a little bit about some of the projected touchdown decliners based on opportunity adjusted to touchdowns. We're not going to give them all away. They have, you have articles about this. <laughs> both in the preseason and throughout the season on ESPN.com, uh, ESPN+. Plus. But a couple guys here that I find interesting, 
uh, Leonard Fournette and Odell Beckham, two big potential decliners. Do you think there's any sort of chicken and egg here with these touchdown shutfalls and, and uh, shortfalls and talented players on, say, bad teams? Um, it's, that's always a tough one because on one hand, you're right. You would think, okay, it's a bad offense. It's going to be, you know, inefficient. And there's some truth to that. Uh, but on the other hand, you also have, first of all, there's every team has players who are over their heads in the touchdown department, even bad teams. Right. So you would expect mm-hmm. them to kind of level out. And also since it is an opportunity stat, right. I mean, if you're a bad team, you're not getting into scoring ranges often and yeah. your team is lower. Right. So there's a, there's a, you have to think about all those things in an evaluation. It's not as simple as one number. Um, but there, there is some truth to that. There is some truth to the ability and, and generally it's going to correlate right with teams that are very yes. good in, term, in the red zone and, and vice versa. So um, again, that's all kind of things you have to sort through. It's definitely part of the process. Okay. And then two other players who I think there may be a bigger picture beyond just the OTD related regression, but one is Mike Williams just two touchdowns last season against 6.9 opportunity adjusted ones, a big shortfall, and another player that you would think would score a lot. But my question is, is, is Williams going to have the opportunity to bounce back the way his opportunity adjusted touchdowns would suggest, given that there's a new quarterback in Tyrod Taylor who may be a little bit less aggressive throwing down the field than Phillip Rivers was? Yeah, it definitely bothers me. That's why I think people, and it's not just me, are, are down on, on Keenan Allen this season, probably lower mm-hmm. than we might normally be on on Hunter Henry uh, and certainly Mike Williams as well. So uh, when I write this article, the idea is, you know, we're, we're thinking players that were very unlucky or vice versa in the touchdown. And so uh, after that, after you make that adjustment, then you apply it to the new offense, right? So last season, his OTD was 6.9. He had two touchdowns. That makes him one of the unluckiest touchdown scores or lack thereof over the past, actually since 2007. In fact, out of, 7,362 players uh, that had at least one, uh, what would it be, one one look, one carry plus uh, target since 2007. Mike Williams' season was 18th unluckiest, and Leonard Fournette uh, was third unluckiest. So it just gives yeah. you an idea of how extreme, <laughs> extremely unlucky they were. Uh, but I, I have him at four touchdowns this season. I think the Chargers are a little overvalued in the, the betting community right now. Uh, I think their defense is very good. I think the offense will will struggle. And uh, another thing to consider, and this goes, think about it the opposite way for the Colts. Uh, the thing about Phillip Rivers is if he drops back to pass, if there's going to be a passing attempt or or a sack, right? He's not scrambling, you know? And yeah, that's, that's true. Allow, allow a lot of volume for an offense. That's going to be taken away and then some from the Chargers offense because not only is Tyrod average, you know, in terms of uh, – you know, he's not just like, it's not going from a guy who never scrambles to an average one. It's a guy that scrambles a lot and a guy that takes a lot of sacks as well in Tyrod Taylor. So there's a lot of passing game volume that's going to be taken away from this Chargers offense. That's very good. Like, yeah, that's very cool. Um, From the Philip Rivers perspective, I also have an article up on Football Outsiders talking about how he's had a lot of deep passing success, could be a good fit with T.Y. Hilton that you can check out. Um, But back to the opportunity just to touchdowns thing. One more guy here, a player that I really like this season, Tyler Higby. Just three touchdowns last season, but 5.5 opportunity adjusted touchdowns. Um, But the bigger story for him, maybe than that regression, is whether he can maintain the big increase he saw in his target volume in the second half. Do you have any opinions about that with the team losing Brandon Cooks in the offseason? Well, I have him at 6.3 targets per game. So I I think I'm a little more confident in him than most people, because if Mm -hmm. you're on, you know, football Twitter, you see a lot of mockery of Higby and you you should be taking Gerald Everett and fading Higby at his ADP. 
And I, I'm not into that, right? I think that it uh, took a little time, but Higby was finally unlocked. And I think, uh, you know, you, you think about Austin Hooper, same kind of thing, right? He spent a lot of time yeah. blocking early in his career. And then, uh, you know, they it takes a while for some tight ends to get going, especially inline tight ends. And, and now they've, they've kind of found something with him. So, uh, look, if, if uh, Sean McVay comes out and it's a Gerald Everett show at tight end and Higby's just blocking again and, and they're not scoring, I mean, that's on him. You know, I don't I don't think he's dumb. Does anyone think Sean McVay doesn't know what he's doing? No, of course not. The guy <laughs> is one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. He found something last season that worked. And if you watch the first episode of Hard Knocks last week, he even mentioned, chat. you know, you heard him talking about the 12 personnel package when they were practicing, uh, you know, do, doing some walkthroughs. They were working in the 12. Uh, so I don't think that's going anywhere. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, even though they, they run Mar 12 to keep both of those guys on the field, you're still going to see Higby as a pretty prominent part of the passing game. And, and honestly, when they're throwing the ball, I expect him, if, if they're in 11, I expect him to be uh, the guy that's on the field quite a bit. So could be wrong. But um, again, I think it would be kind of crazy if they, they take a step back after that offense was better with him playing a big yeah. role down the stretch. Yeah, that, that's what I think. And that's what I like to hear. Uh, one more OTD related issue here is that just be, expanding beyond the touchdown part of this, you've more recently created an opportunity adjusted fantasy points metric that relies on similar logic. Could you get a little bit into how that works? And, and maybe this ties a little bit into the sort of Garoppolo side of things potentially. Yeah. And it, it was kind of a natural fit, right? Because, uh, you know, for years, you know, going back to the early PFF days, I've been doing uh, the, the, this, the uh, elements of, OFP or opportunity mm -hmm. fantasy points, right? I would do like uh, box defender, you know, like adjusting for personnel packages, yards per carry adjusted for personnel packages for running backs, and then like yards per attempt and catch rate adjusted for the personnel on, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and then we did opportunity adjusted touchdowns and the list goes on and on. So um, I had all these little different uh, departments kind of complete. And then I thought, well, you know, let's put them all together. Um, and it took a while, obviously, to get to that point to do all the, the necessary research and then sure. create an expected fantasy point total as, as opposed to just a, an expected touchdown total. So you can pick it apart. You know, you can figure out expected yards, expected touchdowns, expected catches based on targets. You can go on and on. Uh, but when it all comes together, it gives you that expected total. And it's the same concept, right? You look for guys who are way over their heads and vice versa. Uh, guys who are under achievers tend to end up on the bench you know, or, or not playing yeah. much. It's no surprise. Makes kind sense. Of, you, you see that with like PFF grades too. If a cornerback's grade is terrible over a PFF, you, you know, you tend to uh, see them kind of end up getting benched. And then, uh, you know, you see the same kind of thing here with, with OFP. So, um, and then on the other side, the guys that are way over their head tend to, uh, you know, tend to be your, your fantasy stars, your breakout players in the NFL, but they just can't sustain that long-term, right? Even if they're above their, their expected number by a bit, they're not going to keep up these extreme numbers. Like, uh, for example, Lamar Jackson last season had 416 fantasy points. His OFP was 323. That's about 100 points over expected. You know, maybe this year he'll be 22 over expected. And that's good. That's very good. Yeah, but, it's, yeah. you know, more in the, in the area of reality. So obviously, every fan of Mike, get on ESPN.com, ESPN Plus, check out some of that stuff, some really interesting things to find out and help you with your fantasy leagues, and just from an interest standpoint in real football. And I want to transition over to some of other uh, Mike's other more recent work on ESPN, starting with your unit rankings that you do. I find this article very interesting because it kind of alters your perspective and sometimes leads you to draw fantasy conclusions like one and two players removed from who you're even talking about. So I just kind of want to shout out a couple of things that I found interesting. 
First is uh, you rank the 49ers running backs as the 26th best set of running backs in the league. Cause I was kind of surprised that was low and I didn't, I didn't know if like the sort of, it seems like more of a coordinated effort that Shanahan is collecting these fast running backs, but like maybe it's something that other teams haven't unlocked in the same way. Do you think there may be something there or is it that Shanahan is just, again, had a great season with the 49ers last season and there could be some regression potential here? Um, I think there'll be regression for sure, but I think that when it comes to running back rankings, there's a couple issues here. I mean, I'll tell you what, sit down and try to run, rank running back units one to 32. Good luck. I mean, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I'll, I'll tell you right now, and pe- there's people that may shut this off when they hear me say this because it's going to seem so ridiculous, but just bear with me. Uh, my 32nd ranked backfield is the Bears. And yeah. again, I mean, there's certainly some ability there. David Montgomery could break out this season. I liked him coming in. Tariq Cohen is a, you know, passing down specialist, obviously, but his efficiency was very poor last season, as were Montgomery's for the most part. Uh, And if you, again, if you look one to 32, there's just, who do you put them ahead of? You know, there's just so many proven backfields or competent backfields. Everybody's pretty much happy with their running back situations right now. It's like, it's impossible because that position is so close. And that's why uh, once I put these kind of unit grades together to create a team consensus, I don't value running back very high because yeah. they're, they're so close and it's it's so dependent on other factors. And uh, as for the 49ers specifically, uh, you know, com- consider the O-line grade as well. Consider the coaching as well uh, before you really evaluate what you're going to get out of the running backs. It's not as True. simple as just the personnel. Yeah. Uh, and that's that comes in later when I do projections. This is just to get an idea of roster construction, strengths and weaknesses on the roster. And like, you know, like we talked about earlier, I don't view the 49ers personnel with, you know, Coleman and McKinnon in Mostert as a group that objectively speaking is, is one of the most talented backfields in the NFL. And maybe we're underrating those players, but I mean, how many times was Raheem Mostert waved, you know, cut, you know, on the street, you know, uh, yeah, Kevin was true. A backup for Atlanta, Jarek McKinnon, again, his efficiency was terrible as a backup with the Vikings. And now he's missed a couple seasons. I mean, I don't think that it's crazy to say that's a below average trio in this league, though, again, Kyle Shanahan in this offense can get a lot more out of them. It may be surprising to people to hear that you have the Washington football team running backs one spot ahead of the 49ers uh, at 25th, and you identified them as a unit to watch this season. Do you think that either Bryce Love or Antonio Gibson is maybe a sleeper target for, for a running back two upside this season? Yeah, and, and actually, I should uh, point out this was before Darius Geis went down. Right? Okay, a lot of that's a major right? factor. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I did move them down. They're actually behind the the Niners now, but um, yeah, there's there's no question that there's there's potentially some upside in that backfield. Antonio Gibson's stock is kind of on the rise in fantasy. It's making him a little tougher to get your hands on uh, getting into the late single digit rounds. Uh, so that's that's something. But Bryce Love. Uh, again, you know, he's become a late round sleeper. So don't think you're going to get him off waivers and, and not draft them. You're going to have to take him and, you know, let's say the 14th, 13th round. But uh, definitely, I mean, we saw what Love did in college, had a, mm-hmm. one of the better seasons in, you know, and that we've seen from running back in a long time. If he's healthy, he could be a factor. Gibson, I mean, the guy's a handful of carries in his career, you know, going back to high school. So a lot to prove there. I think the hype there is probably a little too much just because, uh, what are the odds he comes out and gets 200 carries and, you know, 60 catches maybe, you know, I, I don't see that happening. It's probably going to be more in the hundred carry range uh, and, and maybe, maybe 120. And, and perhaps if things go well, he can get into the 40 to 50 catch range. But I think uh, they're not just going to throw him into the fire for a guy so inexperienced. And and by the mm-hmm. way, a day three draft pick. Uh, and if you look back at the past decade, day, day or day two, excuse me, day two 
uh, draft picks just haven't uh, contributed much in fantasy as rookies. So those are a few things I, I'm looking at. He, does, he I think he has the second highest college receiving ratio in my database. So it's like a guy that maybe with even a smaller touchdown volume could could do well in fantasy in your PPR formats. Um, you rank the Bengals wide receivers as the fourth bet set um, of wide receivers. That really surprised me. Do you have any particular love for maybe AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins, or John Ross as a fantasy value? Or is it more of a like, just all of these guys are good and collectively make them a very strong team? Yeah, well, I definitely like this this group of four. I mean, I think as depth goes, it's hard to beat um, for sure. Uh, um, so, uh, you know, obviously Green, hopefully he's healthy and he's on the field. Uh, this, the sky's the limit for him. And we know he's one of the best talents at the position in the league. Tyler Boyd, super reliable in the slot. Higgins, I was a big fan of him in the pre-draft process. I love that they got him there. Basically, the, the round one, two turn, we'll say, uh, in the NFL mm-hmm. draft. Yeah. John Rock, obviously, that speed element uh, that he brings to the table. But, uh, you know, it's tough in fantasy because I'm worried that they're going to kind of hurt each other a little bit, not to mention that you have a rookie quarterback, you have a weak offensive line. There's probably a limitation on on uh, scoring volume in this offense. So I think that Boyd stock kind of comes down a little bit. Uh, he was the top, he was 18th in fantasy last year. I think that Green coming back will take some targets away. Uh, so for me, I have Boyd and Green back to back just inside my top 30. I think they're perfectly fine targets. Boyd a safe target uh, as a wide receiver three and Green a little riskier or a lot riskier, but has a pretty high upside. So um, those would be the two guys that's on my radar. And then Higgins is like, I would take a late flyer on him, but that's it. Yeah. So maybe is is the play then, since that talent is so distributed, is Joe Burrow maybe somebody that can be effective as a rookie fantasy quarterback? Uh, I mean, I have him 22nd. Uh, I I haven't got drafted him because rookie quarterbacks just don't do a lot in, in, uh, in fantasy unless they do a ton with their legs. And you look back at the mm-hmm. past decade, any quarterback that has been a QB1, has done a lot with their legs. I, th- I believe, if I'm not mistaken, all of them have at least four rushing touchdowns, uh, and most of them have a lot of rushing yardage. That includes Kyler Murray last season, who we all kind of expected him to be a QB1 or close to it as a rookie because we knew he was going to run a lot. And uh, I, I know Burrow is very athletic. He can certainly add that value with his legs, but I don't expect him to be on the Murray or, say, Josh Allen level of production, sure. maybe closer to what Daniel Jones did last season might be where he is. Uh, but you know, as we know with Jones, he was all over the place. He'd have a four touchdown game and then he would just get you like four points. So, um, I expect some, some struggles for that Bengals offense as they get going. There's great skill position players around Burrow, but he's a rookie. Uh, the offensive line's not very good and they still, uh, they still certainly have uh, some work to do. By the way, their defense, they lost Trey Waynes, but defense is much better than it's, than it was the last couple of years. So, you know, that's going to help keep them a little more competitive and, and lead to less, uh, just chucking the ball around in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's great. Um, you identified the Patriots wide receivers as a unit to watch. And I just kind of want to pretend we're in the world where we know that Cam Newton's shoulder is good to go. Um, if we could be optimistic in that way. Do you think there are any receivers that either gain or lose, particularly with the transition from Brady to Newton and their different styles? Uh, yeah, I think it helps Julian Elliman's stock for sure. Uh, I'm a little nervous about him without Tom Brady, very much like James White, like two guys you know that Brady was going to force mm-hmm. him the ball to. We just don't know with the quarterback change. But I feel a little bit better if uh, if Cam is ready to go and back to his old self. Because remember, he's coming off his most efficient passing season the last time he was fully healthy, right? He was, he was terrific. He was more conservative, but his efficiency numbers went up pretty significantly. So... Uh, that's good news for the pass catchers, you know, completing those short passes, not just chucking it deep with a low completion rate. So um, 
I do. Uh, I would feel better about him. Uh, Nikhil Harry's a tough one for me. You know, uh, you know, separation is we're learning more and more is so important. And and you know, he you know the he that's not certainly not one of his specialties. And also, you know, guys that don't produce much as rookies don't tend to to do a ton uh, in their in their career and pan out very often. So I'm a little nervous about him. But fine if you want to take him as a late flyer. Um, otherwise it's just like, you know, we're looking, we're looking deeper leagues now, you know, maybe sure, uh, yeah. leagues, uh, deeper than 12 teams for Muhammad Sanu. Uh, he's borderline draftable in, in 12 teamers. Jacoby Myers is a, I still think a good dynasty stash. Remember the hype on him, uh, from last year, he seemed to like, he was maybe better than Nikhil Harry, uh, at times. So, uh, that would be pretty much the extent of it, but I'm not going, I'm not going over the top. Would anybody be, be surprised if New England just came out and ran it? non-stop just a super <laughs> run heavy offense you, you just don't know with bill belichick yeah not at all not at all even without sony michelle potentially and we'll get back to that in a little bit but one more uh, unit comment here and this offensive line i think is something that sometimes fantasy owners don't put enough thought into and what that can mean for teams you identified the browns offensive line as a unit on the rise they added uh, jack conklin in free agency jedrick wills in the first round of the draft uh, do you think that that's going to help improve the pass protection where Baker Mayfield can maybe bounce back to where we thought he was maybe going to land that last year as a back-end quarterback one? Absolutely. I think that, you know, a couple of years ago, I spent time on SportsCenter, NFL Live, content on ESPN, you name it, talking up the Browns. Like, this is a 500 team. You know, they're not an 0-16 team anymore on paper. And and sure enough, they did bounce back and ended up in that uh, with a 7-9 and that next season. But mm-hmm. then the hype last year, you know, and I thought they could win the division last year, but the hype got a little too excessive. And and some, one of the issues I pointed to was offensive tackle, right? They, they, that's a big problem area, and I was nervous Serious about problem. it. Serious problem. And they seemed to agree. You know, it was a problem, and they addressed that this offseason with the, as you mentioned, with Wills and Conklin. That all being said, you know, and, and by the way, they bring in Kevin Stefanski. The structure is going to be better. I think that there's a chance for a big leap this season. That all being said, you know, if you look at just clean pocket data from last year for quarterbacks. I mean, Baker Mayfield was near the bottom. He was pretty much last or close to last in every category. And that scares me, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Baker. Uh, he was hyper efficient at the college level. Uh, I expected him to apply that in the NFL. We saw it a little bit as a rookie, but man, in clean pockets, he was just really bad. So, you know, even if he has time in the pocket, is he going to struggle? You know, I, I don't know that answer, uh, but it, that, that definitely is something to think about and something that worries me. And that's a reason I have not been one of the people taking a shot on him in, in fantasy leagues this year. Yeah, it's interesting because we've done a lot of research at Football Outsiders about like pressure versus non-pressure stats and stuff. And a lot of times it's a lot more random than you would really expect. And I always wonder whether with the player that is seeing a heavy amount of pressure, whether that sort of shell shocks him such that even when he's not seeing pressure, he's you know fast tracking his decisions, not going through his progressions, and it just kind of spirals. Sure. Uh, so I, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether – Mayfield can do better whether there's pressure or not this season if he feels more confident that the pressure is not going to be there. Okay, Mike, let's close up with um, maybe the most fun article. I think you, I mean, you write a lot of really cool stuff and I'm sure everyone that, that is uh, listening to this should, should check out all of your work. But this is a really fun article you do every year, The Ultimate Draft Board, where you basically go through and say like, here is how a perfect draft would unfold for me, the players that I want to target in certain rounds, how I maybe want to build my team uh, maybe taking running backs early and that type of stuff. Uh, but there's some specific players that you call out as, you know, here are the, the guys that you like in certain rounds that I want to get in a little depth with you. That starts with a third round target of yours, Mike Evans. Um, do you have any concerns about how uh, 
how the, the Buccaneers offense might change with Brady under center this season? Uh, you know what? Not, not really. And I'll tell you why. Yeah. I'll tell you why. So Bruce Arians is obviously the guy running that offense and Byron Leftwich is the, the play caller now, but it's, it's Arians' offense. And, and we saw some evidence of that last season. Now, Arians, if you look back at his past 10 offenses, and keep in mind that this is not just one team that and one quarterback he was with for a long time. We're talking Pittsburgh. We're talking Indianapolis. We're talking Arizona. And now we're talking Tampa Bay. That's four different cities, four different teams, multiple different quarterbacks. Eight of those 10, eight of those 10 offenses were top 10 in average depth of, uh, or actually, no, wait, I'm saying that wrong. All of them were top 10 in average depth of throw, and all but two of them were top four. So that tells me this is a guy that has a vertical offense. He's going to push mm-hmm. the ball downfield. That's not, you know, that's not a fluke over that many different different teams, cities, offenses, years. Um, and then of course, last season was, uh, you know, one of those teams. So you can point to Tom Brady being more conservative the past two years. That's fine. I know he's older, I, but you know, I would point to his bad supporting cast, right? Who was he going to yeah. go to in that? Yeah. Offense? So, uh, I'm not too worried about it. I don't think it's going to be Jameis Winston level, uh, YOLO ball, just chucking it downfield. <laughs> Brady's going to be more conservative. He's not going to, uh, you know, get intercepted nearly as often. I think he has fewer over the past three seasons than Winston had last year alone. Uh, oh, but I have no doubt that's true. I'm not worried about Mike Evans. I'm not worried okay. about him at all. If he's going to be, he's six five, one of the only players that big in the NFL. He's super talented. He's in his prime. Arians is not a, not a dumb coach. You know, he's they're going to get the and Tom Brady's obviously not a dumb quarterback, right? Like they're going to get the ball to Mike Evans, especially near the goal line. Uh, the guy leads the NFL in end zone targets since he was drafted. I just I just don't have concerns about them getting him the ball almost a quarter of the time. Okay, then following up, if you think that this is really more the Arians type of offense, to me, that is a worrying sign for Gronk's fantasy value because Arians has pretty much always been one of the the league trailers in tight end target share. You have Gronk added to an already talented OJ Howard here, um, but you still rank Gronk eighth at the position. Um, Do you think that maybe there is actually enough uh, targets to go around or do you think maybe Gronk's touchdown upside is just so enormous? How, How do you see that shaking out? whether there's maybe actually too many good skill players for everybody to sort of hit their ADPs right now. Well, I do think it'll be a high scoring offense. And, and I do think Gronk will be near the top of tight ends in terms of average depth of target. So I think those two things alone are enough to get you in the top 10 conversation. So uh, Gronk, and again, it doesn't take a lot, right? We know it does not take a lot to be a top 10 or top 12 quarter uh, t- fantasy tight end. True. Um, and, and again, we could poke holes in a lot of these guys. We already talked about Higby. We could poke holes in Evan Ingram's uh, injuries. We could poke holes in Her- uh, Hunter Henry's injuries, not to mention the quarterback change, Jared Cook's age, obviously, uh, and, and low target share, Hayden Hurst changing teams, TJ Hawkinson's uh, still dealing with an injury. I mean, you can go on and on with with poking holes, but I've, I've Gronk had 48 catches, 642 yards, four touchdowns uh, that, you know, like you said, it puts him right in that range to be yeah. a back end tight end one. I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I, I completely do. Um, they also have to, you know, get OJ Howard, some, some snaps, Cameron Braid as well. But again, it doesn't take a lot to be a borderline tight end one. I think that's where Gronk is. So speaking of tight ends, it seems like maybe Zach Ertz may be one of your favorite targets at the position. You have him as a fifth round player that you should look at, but I have question. Do you, you think there's any concerns that maybe Dallas Goddard could be passing him in target share? Do you see Goddard as maybe a player on Ertz's level or maybe even better? I do, I do not. I think Goddard, uh, 
could turn into one of the better tight ends in the NFL, but I don't think Ertz is going anywhere. You know, I mm-hmm. just, there's a reason they've, they've kept him around. Uh, you know, you look at uh, the past four seasons, he's been top four in targets, receptions, yards, and fantasy points every year. You know, Doug Peterson's going to run a lot of two tight end sets. We know that Carson Wentz loves going to Zach Ertz. He's going to continue to feed him the ball. Um, you know, we actually, last season, we saw Ertz struggle for like a week or two, right in the middle of the season when he was dealing with double and triple teams. And it was, you know, obviously getting very frustrating. And they solved that, you know, even though the receiver injuries got worse, they seemed to find a way to get him open and, and continue to make him a huge part of that offense. So uh, I believe in the talent there. You know, he's healthy still in his, we'll say, his, the, the end of his prime years. I'm sure. not worried about Goddard becoming the one there. I just, I'd be surprised yeah. if that happens. And, and frankly, it may not matter. I mean, you kind of mentioned it. The Eagles have finished first in two tight end percentages the, the last two seasons. So there's probably enough work for both of those players to, to do really well in fantasy this season. Yeah, and, and I, think that, I think that number goes down with the receiver improvements. But then again, who knows? Because Deshaun's still, you know, he's 33 and Rager, mm-hmm. we don't know. He's a rookie and, you know, will uh, some of these other guys make a leap like Ortega Whiteside, uh, you know, Alshon, when's he going to play? Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I think both guys will play a lot this year again. I'm impressed by your, your correct pronunciation of Ortega Whiteside, which I can't say. So, <laughs> you know what? That's that's interesting you say that because uh, I think we need to maybe have an intervention on Clyde Edwards Hilaire because it's uh, mm. pretty positive it's pronounced Hilaire, but we've all kind of just went with Hilaire because it's easier and, and that's kind of what we've all stuck with. So, that might be the yeah. next one to follow in the, uh, you know, follow behind Ortega Whiteside is Edwards Hilaire. That'll probably be harder for me because I feel like I had Jose Maria Olothavo to train me on the like the sound for so many years as a golf fan, but uh, I'll do my best to catch up. Okay, just a few more questions before I let you go, Mike. Uh, For one, I'm surprised to see how much you like Zach Moss. You have him as a ninth round value in Buffalo. Usually when I'm looking for my running back sleepers, I'm looking for what I see is either receiving or touchdown upside. And I feel like it's easy for fantasy fans to say that, hey, Singletary is probably going to be the receptions guy Josh Allen's going to run in some of those closer touchdowns. What does that leave for Moss? Do you see more potential here than I do? Yeah, and I, I know it's easy to say that, and I kind of would lean early season towards uh, Singletary and passing situations as well, but I don't know that it has to last that way because it's not like Moss is uh, just a big guy that can't catch the ball. He's certainly effective in that department. Um, we saw that last season. You know, He averaged almost 13 yards per target uh, last season at the college level. In fact, he caught every single – catchable target that was thrown to him. There were 31 of them. So, uh, yeah. or, uh, excuse me, caught, uh, all of his targets were, uh, uh, catchable, but he caught 28 of them. So su- super efficient. Um, but I, I like Moss. He was my favorite player in this draft. He's just following in a path of guys. I love like Jordan Howard and, and Chris Carson and Kareem Hunt, just guys who are, uh, crazy efficient, jump off the page in terms of yards after contact and, and, uh, elusiveness, the ability to break tackles. He just jumps off the page. So I'm just a big fan of the talent. That's why I want to get a piece of him late. Uh, he should get, you know, I know Josh Allen will steal goal line work, but he should uh, replace Frank Gore as their goal line back. And uh, it would not surprise me if a, a month into the season, he's looking like the better back in that backfield. And that's no disrespect to Singletary, who I like. Uh, but I think Moss is just going to turn into one of the better rushers in the NFL. Very cool. Okay. And it isn't, I don't think it's confirmed news yet. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I saw that Michael Lombardi suggested that Sony Michelle may miss something close to half the season because he's kind of having a slow recovery to his offseason foot surgery. Does that motivate your interest in Damian Harris as a late round guy? Or do you think maybe Harris is, is more talented than people realize? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's two things. One is what you just laid out, right? If uh, Damian Harris is the uh, the Patriots' week one starter, we'll say, or their lead back, uh, you know, he should play a pretty pretty significant role there. And and who knows, he could push for fifteen carries and a target or two. I think he's a uh, you know a little bit more dynamic than Sony Michelle, although we did expect him to do more as a receiver in the pros. So who knows? But yeah. remember, Damian Harris, his last season of college, uh, he outsnapped Josh Jacobs. Right. He, he was that's crazy. Was really, yeah. Crazy to think. Yeah. They're they're top back there. Uh, and they kind of kept them on ice last season. That's not uncommon for the Patriots, even for running backs that end up breaking out. I believe James White's a, an example of that. So uh, I think they give him a look. I know they signed Lamar Miller, uh, but I think that Harris gets that first look. And again, who knows if they run the ball more and, and it's a little more friendly for the, the the lead rusher, we'll say, as opposed to their lead back, which is, is generally James White in fantasy. Uh, could be a breakout season for Harris. And again, it's not like you're spending an eighth round pick in fantasy. You're taking a 14th or 15th round pick for a guy that can end up getting 15 plus touches in this Patriots offense. So uh, definitely intriguing late round flyer for me. So you you list several more attractive sleeper candidates in, in this ultimate draft article that everyone should check out on ESPN.com. But is there a particular sleeper that is your favorite? Um, he can either be you know, like outside the top 10 rounds of ADP, or if you want to go like deep league, here's a guy that you should think about. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we talked about Moss, obviously. Uh, Noah Fan is one of my favorite targets uh, in, in the later rounds. Love him in Denver. I think he's in uh, in position for a breakout season. Uh, remember, he was tight end 16 as a 21-year-old rookie, and that's, that's yeah, really good. That's tight impressive. End, yeah, tight end 16 for a rookie tight end is really good. We were good. talking about how Higby needed like four seasons to become effective, so that, yeah. that is a rare thing for a rookie tight end to do. Yeah, and, and uh, if you look at the past decade of rookie season yards per target, uh, for rookie tight ends, it's a list of all the stars in fantasy with two exceptions, Chris Herndon and Noah Fan. So those are two guys definitely mm-hmm. on my radar because that, that is correlated very well. Um, and then I'll throw you one more, Paris Campbell. I'm all over Paris, okay. Paris Campbell if I can get him. Uh, you know, d- day two pick last year was missed over half the season with an injury. Now you bring in Phillip Rivers. We already talked about that. Uh, and Campbell should be a pretty significant part of that offense. So uh, I've called him maybe this year's DJ Chark, right? That kind of uh, you know, previous year, day two picked everybody sleeping on position for a pretty big role. Uh, I'm excited to see what he can do in Indianapolis. Well, this is tremendous, Mike. Thanks so much for joining the, the podcast today. Do you have any other articles maybe coming out or anything else you want to promote that fantasy fans should check out your work? Yeah, I got, I mean, I have a bulk of it up there, right? We're, we're in seasons coming. <laughs> we a great article. We have the, yeah. the draft board. I, there's been tons of stuff I've been posting over the past month or so. Uh, we'll have an updated 192 coming up here. That's the, you know, the 192 players who need to be drafted in, in 12 year standard 12 team league. So uh, we'll be pumping that out. We have the fantasy football marathon is coming early next week. So keep an eye out okay. for that. We're starting Great. to work on that. It's going to be a little different this year since, you know, with the, uh, a lot uh, of zoom, I would say. Yeah. yeah with the COVID Well, yeah, well, we all have, uh, you know, we got the TVUs in our houses now, so we're going to do, uh, you know, our draft and, and a bunch of other content. So, um, it's going to be a lot of fun, but uh, check out all that. Check out ESPN Plus. Uh, I'm on Twitter at MikeLayNFL, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to get back to actual football and have some new information to process and, and study and, and uh, have another great season. Me too, and thanks so much again, Mike. Uh, best of luck this season. I hope we have a great one. Sounds good. Same to you, Scott. Okay, well, thanks again for Mike for joining the show. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, for the next part of this episode, we're going to go through uh, all the running backs in the top 45 of our PPR rankings up on Kubiak, um, up on footballoutsiders.com. Kubiak is our preseason 
full season fantasy football projection system. And the Kubiak web tool that we have is really cool. Um, you can do a lot of things with it. First, you can just have access to the full set of projections, which you can you know download in the CSV and alter however you want to prepare for your leagues. But the web app itself is cool because you can use it to input your league settings and help you prepare for the draft and even use it as an alongside draft tool where if you're say you're in an auction, you can input player prices and, and keep track of how much. And it, it actually dynamically adjusts pricing for players based on who gets selected at what price. So there's a lot of potential use there, uh, but just from sort of a full season preview perspective, we're going to go through all of the, the major running backs today. I'll give you a stat per player and hopefully help you win your fantasy leagues this season. Uh, so no surprise at number one, we have Christian McCaffrey as the top back. Uh, I had a little bit of concerns with McCaffrey based on his workload, uh, but he's obviously bigger now than he was at his combine weight of 205 pounds. Still small for an NFL back, but interestingly, uh, Football Outsiders editor-in-chief Aaron Schatz is actually the originator of the Curse of 370 research, which if you've been playing fo uh, fantasy football for a while, you probably remember from, say, the Larry Johnson days uh, of things. But Aaron is a believer that receiving touches are less potentially damaging than rushing touches, just in terms of how likely you are to end up in uh, a tackle that could lead to injury. So as such, McCaffrey, just 287 carries last season, well short of that historically alarming carry total. So I think you can draft him number one with full confidence. Number two, we have Saquon Barkley. Uh, Barkley actually has a little bit of an alarming trend of negative 27.1% and negative 16.8% DVOA in the red zone the last two seasons. I don't think that's actually a concern for this season, but it's something to keep an eye on. If, if he continues to have trouble punching in those goal line touchdowns, that may be a way that the... You know, the Giants could sort of take away a little bit of work for him to maybe have greater longevity, but that would obviously influence his long-term fantasy value. Number three, we have Alvin Kamara. Again, reminder, this is a PPR ranking set here, something you can change in the Kubiak web tool. Uh, but Kamara has had kind of a downward trajectory himself, going from 44.5% rushing DVOA in 2017 to 18.5% uh, in 2018 and 3.1% last year, receiving same trend, 36.4% to 18.4% to 1.6%. So I would say that would be a little bit alarming as well, but there's been some recent news that Kamara says he played through all of last season on a torn MCL in his knee and is fully recovered now. So I think that news actually kind of lessens my concerns here of that downward trend. And I'm gonna kind of write off that career worst year in terms of efficiency as being one where he was playing injured. And I feel good about Kamara bouncing back this season. Number four, Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, so Elliott's backup, Tony Pollard, already has some buzz, I think, is a good handcuff option. He was actually a positional leader with 25.7% broken tackle rate. Um, so I think that that may be something to consider. Elliott has obviously been sort of a workhorse guy throughout his career. But now that he signed a long-term extension, I really wouldn't be shocked to see Pollard eat into Elliott's total of, in particular, targets um, going forward. So I, I don't really have that many concerns about Elliott. We're obviously ranking him fourth. But that may be a way that the team could keep him healthier, kind of like what I was mentioning with the Saquon Barkley side of things. So number five, Dalvin Cook. Uh, no real stat here. I'll just mention that Cook is back at practice for the first time this week. So I think that eases any concerns that people had about his possible contract holdout. Still may not be a terrible idea to bring in Alex uh, Madison uh, as a handcuff in some of your leagues, but Cook, I think we can feel confident as the top five guy that he is. Number six, Derrick Henry. Uh, 9.5 opportunity adjusted touchdowns versus 16 actual rushing touchdowns. Uh, we mentioned this in the interview with Mike Clay. That's a 6.5 touchdown surplus, second biggest at the position. 
Uh, I'll also point out that these opportunity just to touchdown numbers I'm citing now are based on my own calculations. They work pretty similarly to Mike's, but I do some like year over year smoothing and some yard line smoothing uh, beyond 10 yards out from the end zone, whatever, more or less the same thing. The point being that Henry was uh, had a huge touchdown surplus last season. And even though he'd had a surplus in each of his first three seasons, it was never more than two before. It was 6.5 last season. So I think there could be some concern that there was uh, that Henry will score a lot fewer touchdowns this season. Not enough to knock him out of the top 10, but I think given his lack of PPR contributions as a receiver, I think that, that holds him out of the top five in my mind. Uh, number seven, Aaron Jones. Similar story here, 8.7 opportunity adjusted touchdowns versus 16 actual rushing touchdowns. 7.3 surplus was actually the most at the position. Something else to consider here is that A.J. Dillon, the team drafted him, probably an effective short yardage back, may eat into Jones's goal line work. I think Jones is going to be a little bit less valuable last season, uh, this season than he was last season, although not going to knock him out of the top 10 either. Uh, number eight, Kenyon Drake. This is actually from Mike's 50 Things uh, article that I, we didn't even talk about during the interview, but another interesting article talking about things he learned and researched while doing his projections this season. Mike says that during his eight games with Arizona, Kenyon Drake played 381 or 79% of 483 possible snaps, and he handled 123 or 85% of the 144 carries and 35-14% of 43 targets by the team's running backs during that span. I think all of that points to that Drake is going to be a workhorse back for the team, something that since he's only done it a little bit of the time, you may have some uncertainty there, but that gives me confidence that he can be a top 10 option for you at the position. Number nine, we have Joe Mixon, 12.6 carries per game, 3.2 yards per carry, and negative 22% over the first half of the season before the team's week nine bye. But the team actually switched um, from a zone blocking to a pin and pull blocking scheme during the bye week, something that maybe better fit their personnel on the offensive line. That really did a lot of work for Mixon, who jumped to 22.1 carries per game, 4.6 yards per carry, and 11.2% DVOA after the bye. So that, 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 to me, it gives me a reason to have a little bit of extra trust in the second half when so much of Football Outsiders research says that full season numbers tell you better um, than, than second half numbers, what's likely to happen in future seasons. So I feel good about mixing two. Again, another top 10 guy for us at number nine overall. Number 10, Austin Eckler. Uh, he led running backs with 150 or more touches with a 27.7% broken tackle rate last season. So even though he's a little bit small, he's a player that I expect, especially in PPR formats, will continue to overachieve in fantasy what is kind of a relatively smaller number of touches compared to some of those top backs like Derrick Henry. Number 11, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I can't say that name correctly the way that Mike does. Uh, interestingly, Andy Reid has had a running back reached 198 or more touches every season since 2009, and probably going back even further than that, but that's how far back my database of play-by-play -play goes. Uh, so I think now that Damian Williams has opted out, I think that removes the uncertainty that we might have had here. I think it's pretty clear that Edward Solaire is going to be the guy. He's a guy that you can draft in your first round of your fantasy drafts, and I have no problem with it, even though he's a rookie. Number 12, Miles Sanders. Kind of a similar story here, but one thing I'll point out, excellent 20% rookie receiving DVOA, but negative 6.6% rushing DVOA. That's probably a little bit worse than you would expect, given that he had a 4.6 yards per carry average. I think that points to some of his carries coming in easier situations, maybe in longer downs and distances where teams are willing to give up those yardage. So I just have a little bit of concern that maybe Sanders has more to prove to become a workhorse back the way that, that sort of everybody's expecting. Not enough to, to make him drop out of RB2 consideration for me, but we have him 12th in PPR, and that's kind of leaning on his, his receiving chops in my mind. 
So number 13, Nick Chubb. This is a guy we have lower than pretty much everyone else in their rankings. Um, but I'll point out there's a little bit of a first half, second half split here. Chubb had 19.3 carries and four targets per game in the first half, just 18 and 2.3 in the second half. That's after Kareem Hunt came back from his first half suspension. And given how effective Hunt is, something we'll talk about a little bit later, I think it's it's unrealistic to expect that Chubb can continue his first half workload going forward. Too many good options uh, in, in terms of Cleveland skill position players, something that you probably would not have expected to say two years ago as that team was losing every game. Okay, number 14, James Conner. Here's a player in contrast we like better than most places, and it's because Conner's had 215 or more carries in three of his last six seasons. That's split between both college and the pros. Um, and one of those misses came in his rookie season when he was backing up Le'Veon Bell. So really, three of his last five seasons where he was expected to work, he actually received 215 carries and survived that workload. That's pretty surprising given his injury history, dealing with things like you know lymphoma, dealing with a torn ACL in college, various other injuries in the pros. But Connor has been a little bit more, um, not durable necessarily, but he's, he's kind of worked through it a little bit more than I think people realize. And that lends me some confidence that he can have a healthy season this season. Number 15, Josh Jacobs. Uh, this is probably a little bit more projecty than some of the other uh, guys on this list. But Jacobs is one of just 16 running backs in my database with a 13% college receiving ratio, who also weighs more than 215 pounds. Those other backs include guys like Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, DeMarco Murray, David Johnson, and Saquon Barkley. So some of the guys that you think of as being the premier fantasy options because one, they have the size to work near the end zone, and two, they can catch passes. So with that sort of consideration, we're projecting Jacobs to improve from 20 to 42 catches this season, more than doubling. That's something that's been a little bit backed up by things John Gruden, his head coach, has said. So we're projecting a big gain from there, um, but it's, it's a little bit more projective than some of the other things that, that I'm going to get through here. Number 16, Leonard Fournette. 8.2 opportunity adjusted touchdowns last season versus just three actual touchdowns. That 5.2 touchdown shortfall was the second biggest at the position and I think speaks to Fournette likely bouncing back and scoring a lot more touchdowns this season. Number 17, Todd Gurley. So Gurley's order of fantasy points per game in his career, it, it really matches up shockingly well with the Rams' adjusted line yards, the run blocking metric. Uh, so his best season in fantasy 2018, 5.49 adjusted line yards for the team was first. 2017 next, 4.70 adjusted line yards was third. Last year, 4.27 adjusted line yards was 19th, kind of middle of the pack there. And then 2015, 3.56, 24th, 2016, 3.66, 29th. So basically you're saying that even though you think of Gurley as being this excellent talent and maybe one that is kind of hitting a career crossroads related to his, his sort of knee situation, uh, it seems really to me that it's really been more about his situation than his personal effectiveness in his career leading to fantasy success. That's an important point because the Falcons had just 3.98 adjusted line yards last season, 24th of the position. Maybe they'll be better this season, but I have no expectations they'll land in the top 10 in that metric, which I think means that you should be a little bit more pessimistic about Gurley. I don't think he's going to bounce back to his peak rates, even if he's a workload guy for the Falcons, which, you know, that brings him into the top 20, but maybe not the top 10 at the position. Okay, number 18, Le'Veon Bell. Maybe a player that you have your own injury concerns about, but I'll point out that there's a sneaky way to handcuff Bell with rookie LaMichael Perrin, a guy that was a little bit later draft pick, not getting any buzz as a 2019 option. I think he's a safe handcuff. So he just missed that 13% and 215-pound benchmark I mentioned with Jacobs. He had 12.7% uh, receiving ratio in college. He weighs 220 pounds. Somebody that I think could comfortably handle 
all of the important work that a fantasy back needs, if not necessarily thrive with his efficiency. Um, but I think that means you can feel safer about Bell if you want to be able to handcuff him. I think you can with Perrin. Okay, number 19, Devin Singletary. This is probably a situation where I disagree a little bit with Mike Clay and Zach Moss. But with Singletary, 23.3% broken tackle rate as a rookie was fourth best among running backs with 150 or more touches last season. And so that's motivating our projected increase from 29 catches for Singletary last year to 45 this season. We see him getting a little bit bigger piece uh, of that pie and continuing that success in Buffalo this season. Number 20, David Johnson, now with the Texans. Uh, Johnson, obviously in a situation where he could get a lot of fantasy points, and we do have him 20th in PPR, but he hasn't had an above-average rushing DVOA season since his monster 2016 fantasy season. And alongside fellow receiving capable back Duke Johnson, I think David Johnson has major downside risk. I'm not sure who the team would replace him with if he was ineffective. They don't have a ton of depth at the position, but I, I don't think it's fair to trust that Johnson can be the type of player he was when he was much more efficient as both a rusher and receiver earlier in his career before some of his injuries. Uh, next up, we have Chris Carson. Uh, Carson led all running backs with 78 broken tackles last season and continues to provide evidence, I think, that he has no job concerns, even though he was a, a former seventh-round pick from guys like Rashad Penny, who was a first-rounder, although who will miss probably the first half of the year with his torn ACL recovery, and Carlos Hyde, who the team brought in, was a former second-round pick. I think Carson is a better player than those guys and is a clear top running back on that team and, and almost a top-20 option in the position in PPR rankings. Uh, next up, uh, we have David Montgomery. Uh, the Bears had a really bad 3.86 adjusted line yards run blocking last season, fourth worst in the league. And the team really didn't address the position much in the offseason. Uh, they didn't draft a, a lineman. They added just Jermaine Effetti in, the, in free agency, uh, who isn't even a guaranteed starter. So I would say that Montgomery deserves to be in the top 25 among running backs because he's clearly sort of the top running back for the team and top touchdown scorer. But I think it, it was. It's not. It wouldn't shock me if he wasn't a top twenty running back, even in a healthy season. Is kind of where I'm going there. Okay, next up we have Melvin Gordon. Uh, Gordon, I wrote a, a sort of an extensive article about him and Lindsey and why I prefer Gordon in fantasy, even though Lindsey's been better by a lot of traditional stats. Uh, the main thing I point to though is that Gordon converted on plays with three yards needed for success, uh, 76.2% of the time versus just 51% for Lindsey. And it's a situation where Lindsey has the speed to get to the line quickly. So he can maybe pick up one yard if the team needs it, but doesn't really have the after contact skills to get two and three and four yards um, in those situations where you would need a bigger back to convert. And because Gordon fits in that, in that way and is sort of has that superior skill set that doesn't always show up in his yards per carry, I think that means he's more likely to get the opportunities near the goal line for touchdowns and um, will probably be on the field a lot more on third downs when he can maybe also catch more passes, also critical for fantasy success. So I think Gordon is the more valuable fantasy player, even if Lindsey looks better by the traditional statistics. Next up, Raheem Mostert, uh, 3.2 opportunity adjusted touchdowns versus eight actual touchdowns. We talked about this with Mike Clay, um, but to me, I think there may be something there with Kyle Shanahan's scheme, getting in those really quick backs. Um, I've actually done a sort of a manual boost to Mostert's uh, rushing touchdown rate, um, to Coleman's rushing touchdown rate and to um, Jarrett McKinnon's projected rushing touchdown rate this season based on that theory that their speed can give them extra opportunities. Um, so that, that bumped Mostert up to 24th 
uh, at the position in PPR ranking. Still not super high because he doesn't catch a ton of passes. And because the 49ers have so many good backs that they'll probably rotate in and out. But not a guy to out and out avoid, even though you might expect some heavy touchdown regression. Number 25, DeAndre Swift. So Swift's 14.2% college receiving ratio was notably better than other backs being drafted after Edwards Hilaire in fantasy this season. So you've got Cam Akers at just 10.5%, J.K. Dobbins 8.9%, and Jonathan Taylor very low 4.3%, which I'll talk about in a bit. But that just gives me a little bit more confidence that Swift can contribute as a receiver and maybe even be a three-down back this season for the Lions. And as such, he is the one of that set of rookies that I value the most as a rookie this season in fantasy. Uh, Number 26, Ronald Jones. So Jones obviously had a huge letdown season and I think still carries the label of being a bust after his bad rookie year um, with negative 24.3% rushing and negative 42.4% receiving DVOA. But Jones bounced back nicely last season, near neutral, negative 2.3% rushing DVOA, positive 9.2% receiving DVOA uh, in his sophomore season. So I actually have confidence that Jones can be the main guy for the Buccaneers this season, certainly more confidence than I would have in, say, LaShawn McCoy. So I think that Jones is a guy that I'm comfortably drafting as a top 30 running back, maybe a guy for, for flex consideration for you if he falls a little bit in your fantasy drafts. Uh, number 27, Mark Ingram. Some risk here coming in with rookies as well. But I'll point out with Ingram that rather than a stat for his play, which was excellent last season, his contract kind of um, changes such that he has a dead cap hit if he is cut after the 20, um, before the 2021 season, so after this season, for $1.3 million, and his contract expires outright in 2022. So to me, this is almost like you could think of it as a contract year, but from the Ravens' perspective, I think of it as sort of a use-up year. Um, that's kind of like a morbid way of thinking about it. But I think the team is going to rely more heavily on Ingram this season, ease J.K. Dobbins into things this season, and then let Dobbins take over as the primary guy, either in 2021 if they want to cut Ingram at that point, or in 2022 when Ingram's contract expires outright. So by that token, I think Ingram is a pretty good option for you in fantasy this season. I have him 27th at the position. Uh, number 28, Marlon Mack. So Mack's receiving DVOA has declined from 9.2% as a rookie in 2017 to negative 21.3% in 2018 and negative 18.5% in 2019. His targets have declined in step from 33 to 26 to 17. I don't expect that trend to stop. You're seeing that bad receiving efficiency means that I think they're going to continue to split up the workload for this team. They also have risk here coming in with Jonathan Taylor. So Mack doesn't really have the upside, but I, I think he'll probably get more carries Um, to lead the backfield, which is why I have him ahead of those other two. But just 28th at the position in PPR formats, not a guy that I think you want to target the way that you used to, even if I think he may be better than others expect relative to Taylor. Number 29 at the position, Jordan Howard. Uh, The Dolphins had 3.17 adjusted line yards in 2019, by far the worst in football. Uh, They did add a lot of offensive talent, though. So this is a situation where the Bears didn't, but the Dolphins did. They signed Eric Flowers in free agency. They drafted Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt, both in the top 40 picks in the 2020 draft. So there could be some radical improvements here. Um, so I think that Howard does have a chance to have some success for this team. Um, but it's, it's something to keep an eye on because last year that bad run blocking sabotaged any potential value that a Dolphins running back could provide you. Number 30, Keyshawn Vaughn, a Tampa Bay Buccaneers rookie. Again, coming in ahead of some of the more touted rookies because I actually think that he has a bit more opportunity to contribute and contribute as a receiver, as a rookie. And I'll point out that I really do prefer Vaughn to LaShawn McCoy 
Uh, I think we've seen McCoy pretty much hit the end of his utility as a player in the NFL. His broken tackle rates by year over the last four seasons in 2016, 23.3%, 2017, 17.6%. 2018, 17.4%, and last year, 13.2%. So trending the wrong way. Uh, McCoy has a lot of miles on him. I think that he's probably just sort of a back-end roster guy, an emergency option if players get hurt. I think Vaughn, though, can contribute. Not my top choice. I think Ronald Jones will be the the more effective receiving um, running back in that offense for fantasy, but good enough to be 30th in our PPR rankings for the season. Number 31, Kareem Hunt. I mentioned earlier that I think he's going to do a little bit more, which is why we have Chubb ranked a little bit less. But in his career, Hunt has either gotten or exceeded 7.9% rushing DVOA or and 14.2% receiving DVOA in each of his three seasons, which is, again, now across two different teams. Hunt is a very, very good player, and I think that supports the 5.4 carries and 5.6 targets he saw per game in the second half alongside Chubb. And getting that extra receiving work, I think, really buoys his fantasy value and really kind of holds down Chubb's value outside of our top 10. So Hunt, 31st, I think a pretty good value, and obviously the premier handcuff in football. Number 32, Jonathan Taylor, not too far back behind Marlon Mack. I think there's some risk that Taylor just explodes. Again, he was the number one running back in our back cast projections of Football Outsiders, kind of on the Saquon Barkley side of like dominant as a rusher, but just absolutely never caught passes in college, which is very important, obviously, consideration for fantasy value. Um, so yeah, and then I mentioned, I think before, Taylor, 4.3% receiving ratio in college. The backs that that's similar to include guys like Terrence West, Peyton Barber, Nick Chubb, and Alfred Morris. I think Chubb is probably a good type of model for this type of player, um, but hopefully he'll be able to, in time, increase his, his receiving um, impact, which I think that would be the key to unlocking him as a top 10 player in fantasy in the long term. Number 33, uh, 33 finishing off those threesome of Colts running backs, we have Naeem Hines. Uh, Philip Rivers has shepherded three different receiving backs in Darren Sproles, Danny Woodhead, and Austin Eckler to seasons with 59 or more catches. So even though you think that, man, there's so much running back competition for the Colts, you have Mack and, and Jonathan Taylor there, I still think Hines can be an effective option for you in PPR formats which is why we have him 33rd at the position, obviously the first of the third running backs for a team in our rankings. On number 34, carry on Johnson. Johnson has missed 14 of possible 32 games in his two NFL seasons, but he has been pretty efficient when he's found the field. 2.2% rushing and six or 4.7% receiving DVOA when he's played. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Swift is going to be the three-down option and workhorse back for the Lions this season. Johnson may have some value. That's why we have him 34th at the position. Number 35, Tariq Cohen. Mike actually teased this a little bit in his section talking about how the Bears have the worst running back collection in football. But we're seeing this on our side of things too with Cohen, negative 45.4% DVOA and negative 92 DYAR, so 92 yards below replacement level on his targets behind the line of scrimmage in 2019. He has 53, 71, and 79 catches the last three seasons. And if he continues to do that, he's going to be a PPR relevant back, and we have him in the top 40 because of it. But the Bears could really easily decide that, hey, Cohen actually isn't helping us win games. Like, we're giving him all these targets, but they're not leading to successful plays. And so it wouldn't shock me if you saw a downturn in his usage. They don't have a ton of other options here, but like from a dynasty perspective in particular, I would try to move on from Cohen um, and find players that maybe have a little bit more efficient play. Number 36, Cam Akers, rookie for the Rams. Uh, We aren't currently projecting any um, passing numbers for for Akers, but I'll point out that he was a high school quarterback. 
Sean McVay has been mentioning how he has some wild card, um, wild cat packages he's trying to put in place for Acres, and that could potentially be a differentiator for um, if he throws a couple of passing touchdowns this season in a backfield where it's. I think there's really not a ton of clarity whether he or Daryl Henderson or maybe even Malcolm Brown will be the the player to own in fantasy this season. We have Acres there as the top bet at 36, but it's hard to say. At number 37, Duke Johnson. Uh, so Johnson has beaten a 6% rushing DVOA in three of his last four seasons and a 6% receiving DVOA in all four of his last four seasons. I think we've sort of pigeonholed him, or maybe it's better to say the Browns and the Texans have pigeonholed him as a receiving back, but he's really not that small, 5'9", 210 pounds. To me, it really wouldn't be surprising if he had a 50-50 type of touch split with David Johnson. Duke Johnson has certainly been the more efficient player in recent seasons since that 2016 David Johnson season. Number 38, Tevin Coleman, kind of fell out of favor toward the end of last season. Um, but again, that, that 4.39 speed, I think, could help him maybe consistently outproduce his opportunity just at touchdowns. He had six rushing and only 5.4 opportunity just at touchdowns last season, which is, I think, maybe a reason to remain optimistic, even if he is clearly the second option on the team now behind Raheem Mostert. Uh, Philip Lindsay. Uh, 5.4 opportunity to touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns as well. Another player with incredible speed, potentially a reason that he could exceed his totals. But I, I think that I, I really don't expect him to get a lot of red zone usage this year, some of which he has gotten in the past uh, related to that Mel, um, Melvin Gordon stat I read earlier. So I think Lindsay is a player that I'm relatively down on in PPR formats. Uh, number 40, Matt Breida, moved to the Dolphins this season. Howard and Breida were both bottom five running backs with 11.6% uh, and 11.3% broken tackle rates last season. But Breida was actually much more effective with his yards before contact, averaging 3.2, a full yard more than Howard. Different type of players here, but maybe Breida um, is sort of more equipped to get those extra yardage, to get those breakaway runs, to score long touchdowns. That could be the key to touchdowns on the team if the team has trouble with run blocking again this season. Um, we, I mean, we have Howard ranked better, but I think Breida has fantasy value as well, potentially. At number 41, James White. Uh, when he was last um, healthy in 2018, Cam Newton sort of embraced offensive coordinator Norv Turner's new game plan to throw the ball more quickly. Um, and he had a 23.2% running back target share over the first half of 2018, which was the ninth highest of 30 quarterbacks. That kind of runs counter to what you sort of remember of Newton in his prime, throwing the ball down the field and running himself. I think he's going to be willing to check down to those running backs, get rid of the ball quickly and avoid those hits, which I think is going to motivate White. Maybe not being as valuable a fantasy option in PPR as he was in Tom Brady's uh, time, but still a valuable option for you in fantasy this season. Number 42, Alexander Madison. Uh, Madison, obviously a valuable handcuff, even though, as I mentioned, Dalvin Cook back at practice, probably not going to hold out this season. Um, but I'll point out that Madison may not be the tremendous player we believe him to be, um, based mostly on his 4.6 rookie yards per carry average. Uh, that average was carried by a top six 2.6 yards before contact per attempt average, which came behind a Vikings offensive line that finished seventh with 4.60 adjusted line yards. Uh, his uh, Madison's 2.1 yards after contact per attempt, meanwhile, were one, uh, 0.4 yards shy of Cook, and he only broke 14.5% tackles, um, almost basically just a little bit over half of Cook's 22.4% rate. I think Cook is clearly the better runner right now, and obviously Madison will have a chance to improve and, and sort of overcome the small sample of his rookie season, but I, I don't think there's any question that Cook is the better player and may not be a player the Vikings are willing to move on from despite some of the contract disputes. Number 43, Boston Scott. 
So Scott, I think we all realize is a very short player at five foot six, but he actually weighs 203 pounds, which interestingly lands him a BMI at 32.8. That's the highest of the 68 running backs who took 50 or more carries last season. So compact type of power. Like I I don't think it's a given uh, that he can get a heavy work that he can't get a heavy workload in Philadelphia. And this could be it's kind of a motivating thing if Miles Sanders is more of a receiving back and less of a running back. Scott could actually kind of get in in that way. Uh, and just kind of as a basis of comparison, at the same height, Scott is 12 pounds heavier than Tariq Cohen, the Bears receiving back, and 13 pounds heavier than Darren Sproles, the player that I think we are tempted to model him on because of the shared team here. I think Scott can be a little bit more than that, and we rank him 43rd in PPR this season. Number 44, Daryl Henderson. Mentioned this a little bit, too, with a three-back committee with the Rams. But I'll point out that of those three players in the uh, in the backfield there, Henderson, Akers, and, and Malcolm Brown, Henderson had the highest receiving ratio in college at 12.8% versus 10.5% for Akers and 7.5% for Brown. So it wouldn't stun me if, if Henderson was the most valuable of those players in PPR formats if they're splitting up the workload for their carries, but Henderson's getting a little bit more opportunities as a receiver. And then we'll close out this running back preview with Antonio Gibson, one of the hottest players in fantasy right now um, after the Darius Geis release. Uh, Gibson is one of just 16 running backs in my database with a 13% college receiving ratio who weighs more than 215 pounds. This is the list that I mentioned earlier with Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, DeMarco Murray, David Johnson, and Saquon Barkley. Gibson kind of fits that mold, and I think that gives him a huge upside. I don't think he's going to realize it this season necessarily, but I think in a PPR format, he's a player you can definitely draft in the later rounds, maybe not too late anymore. But and have a chance to have a real sleeper player that you could start for for you in, in those leagues could be a good option for you. Okay, that's going to conclude our running back preview for the 2020 season and conclude this episode. And again, thanks to Mike um, for, for joining and talking for so long today. Um, please subscribe to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast if you haven't already and rate it and review it um, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you, you do your podcasts. Thanks so much. We'll have a couple more of these in the preseason before we we hopefully get underway for the fantasy season. Um, So thanks again for, for listening, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon.